God morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right on this blessed God morning? <laughs> we gonna get it, now. You gonna get it. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter six. Exodus chapter six, starting at verse one. See, can we do some learning? When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just for showing yourself to us, Father God, all the the wonders of who you are, Father God. You have displayed it across this whole room, and we thank you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Help us to never to lose you from our mind, to never forget you, God, for to always be grateful, to always be thankful, Father God, and to always worship and adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go on, on our journey, continue in through the book of Exodus, we don't wrestle with these ideas of redemption as we go. And as the picture gets farther, as we go along, the picture of redemption is going to get clearer. And when we left off last week, we was with Moses, and he had some, some problems. And Moses had a couple of problems. One was the people were hyped. And we talked about how they weren't too much different from us when y'all be going to them conferences and get all excited and making all them vows and promises to God, but they only last a couple of days. And by Wednesday, you forgot all about it. And the song just don't hit you the same no more. You play it on the radio. You thought you were going to cry again, but you don't cry no more. <laughs> it just don't feel the same. <laughs> and that's what they went through. But the thing that pushed them there was the pressures of life. And it was an expectation that was not realized that discouraged them and took away their faith. And that's a real danger that we have to be conscious of. And if we be honest with ourselves, the vast majority of us have some type of experience like that. Well, you had a hope and you got excited and you thought something was going to be one day, one way, and you flipped and it comes out to be a whole nother thing. And now stuff don't work and God is fake and all and so on and so forth. And that's about where they were. And we had the encounter with Mr. Moses who messed up. Anybody remember how he messed up? He didn't do exactly what God told him to do. And it amped up the frustrations. Because he went to Pharaoh like God told him to do. He gave a request like God told him to give. But he didn't do all the things that God told him to do. And he ended in frustration. And where we left off with Moses was in a deep moment of prayer. And it was a real moment because he truly expressed his heart to God and he spoke out his frustration. And I told y'all, you have the right to do that. God will not get upset. God ain't going to be mad if you tell him how you really and truly and genuinely feel. As a matter of fact, he wants you to do it. But I told you what you have to be ready for is what? The response. You can be as real and honest with God as you want to, but you have to be prepared for the response. Are y'all with me? And that's what we're about to get to now, the response. Moses made his prayer. He made his accusation. And now it's time for God to respond. And as we see God's response, I'm going to have to pull you. you got to pull you in. You're going to have to use your brains a little bit. Because it's one little small phrase that he used that bears a whole lot of weight. But it don't seem that important. 
And I'm going to see if y'all can pick up on it. It's a heavy phrase. And it's the answer to all Moses' questions and all of our questions and all the difficulties of life that we go through. If we could catch on to this one phrase and get it, it makes everything make sense. Let's see if you can grab it. Y'all ready? Looking for this one phrase. God going to say it. Said then, in response, after Moses said all he had to say, then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. This is God's response. Now you notice something strange about that response? Huh? Somebody said it. He ain't paying no attention to what none of that junk Moses was talking about. <laughs> like, now you finna see. And he just went on to his plan and his agenda. He just ignored all Moses' complaints. But in ignoring his complaints, he's answering them. So, and he gives them this declaration. You're about to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. So God is going to do something to who? Pharaoh. All right, so Pharaoh is about to have an encounter with God. And the end result of that encounter is he going to let the people go. And he said he's going to drive them out with a strong hand. Y'all need to remember that. Not only is he going to let them go with a strong hand, he said he's going to drive them out. Who going to drive them out? Pharaoh going to drive them out. So it ain't going to be no, no, y'all cool. He said he's going to get them out of there. Pharaoh going to make them leave. Because so far, they going to stay and they ain't got no choice. He don't care nothing about no who your Yahweh is. But God said, I'm going to do something to Pharaoh, and he's going to make them leave. And then God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by my name of God Almighty. But by the name Jehovah was I not known to them. Now, in these first three verses, anybody caught the, the key thing? That's it. What's the significance of that? Huh? That's a different Lord. Saying, I am Yahweh. That ain't what he's talking about. Because he brought up Almighty in the next verse. What's the significance of that? When he makes this declaration, I am Yahweh. Huh? That's his name. He told he told Moses, that's my name. Huh? Okay. Let's let get it out. What they got to do with what Moses is talking about? Moses talking about these people won't listen to me and Pharaoh mean. And that's, he making a, a, a point blank declaration. You need to know who I am. I am Yahweh. Like, man, Pharaoh, I'm Yahweh. Don't come talk to me about what no Pharaoh won't do. <laughs> And he putting his stamp on it and saying, once you know who I am, this whole thing ain't going to be no problem for you. And that's why he go to where he go in verse 3, which creates a lot of confusion for people. I just let said, by my name, the God Almighty, was I, did I make myself, or did I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob? But by my name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, some of your versions say, I was not known unto them. And the problem is, they did know him. 
All the way back to Seth. It said way back in, in the days of Seth, he began to call upon the name of Yahweh. So what in the world is he talking about? So how can he say they ain't know me as Yahweh? They knew me as the God Almighty. Abraham said, I lift up my hands unto Yahweh, the possessor of heaven and earth. So what in the world is he talking about? And what we got to see is there's a shift because he said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, was I not known. Now, there's a double understanding of known. We got the basic understanding of how information of. What's a different way you can use the word known? To, to experience it. To really encounter it. It's like talking to people. It's like, you must don't know who I am. Like, I'm finna show you who I am. It's like, I didn't show Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who Yahweh is. I showed them my might. I showed them my power through my promises and all them things, but they didn't really get to see who I really am. I'm about to show y'all who I am. I am Yahweh. And it's all connected to the promise. Because Abraham died without the promise. Isaac died without the promise. Jacob died without the promise. Like, so they didn't get to see who, who I really am. This covenant God who really exists, who was in charge of everything, the definition of existence, I ain't showed them that. I showed them some power. I showed them some might. But now you about to see something whole different. And all the worries of complaints that you got and that's going on in your life, you need to understand. I am Yahweh. And y'all need to let that sit. This is who he is. So whatever it is that we're going through, Whatever the challenges of life that we encounter, we need to know what? He's Yahweh. Let that sit in your mind for a second. That's Yahweh. And God is about to tell them in ancient vernacular, Google me. I showed your, your father's name a little something, but just sit back and watch. Now you finna see who Yahweh is. And how you gonna know I'm finna do something to Pharaoh? So Yahweh is finna express his full Yahwehism in this whole encounter. And if we allow what's gonna take place to sit with us, it should elevate our understanding of who God is. Because this whole journey we started, this whole thing we started in DNA, how long it been now? I'm just going to say two years ago, because that's always my answer. <laughs> it's about our whole purpose as human beings. And the chief thing we said we're supposed to do was know God. And everything we have been doing all the way from that moment is to encourage and to facilitate us knowing God. And that whole sermon series we did for about two years. Still ain't changed. We're still trying to know God. And in what's going on here, this is one of God's most monumentous acts. And as we go through scripture, he make reference back to this boatloads of time. Ain't too many books in the Bible you can read where he ain't going to say something about what went on with the deliverance of these people. This is his display to show who he is. 
And this is the inauguration of our salvation right here in this moment. Because he's about to declare, I am Yahweh. Are y'all with me? That statement is key. And we're going to see it going throughout the rest of the book. Even once we get into the laws, we do what we do because he tell them, I am Yahweh. The Lord God that brought you up out of Israel, thus shall ye. So we need to, who we serving, y'all? Y'all sure? He's the Lord. So no matter what going on in your life, who the Lord? Yahweh is. He's the master. Greater than showing up. Are y'all tracking with me? So he going to tell them and teach them somebody self. And watch this. He's going to keep going on. So I have established my covenant with who? To my Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To give them the land of Canaan. The land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. So every time he bring up this covenant, it always connected to what now? Land. And you notice this time, he cut a piece off. Because it usually be two parts. So what part am missing? Why you think he ain't bring that up? Chapter 6. Huh? They got that part. So the only thing left for him to give is the land. Y'all think God cares somebody real estate? Like, <laughs> don't worry about no land. God, you made the land. What you worry about land for? But as we go, I'm going to pull this picture and it's going to get clear and it get a little, little deep. Because this whole thing is, is part of the promise is land. What's so special about that little plot of land over there? It's just a little piece of dirt. A whole bunch of mountains and valleys and all that type of stuff. All type of different temperature ranges and all that stuff going on over there. You got desert and snow-capped mountains all at the same place. Who want that piece of land? But it means something to God. And that's the true question we're going to have to wrestle with as we go. Why God care about this little piece of land? But we've seen what God can do with some land already. When his expression to Moses. Once God show up on land, what happened to it? It changes. And this whole thing started with God creating some land. What land did he make to, to start with? The earth. But greater than the earth is what? That little piece of garden eastward in Eden. The whole world was in the garden of Eden. The world was wilderness. And he made one little section on the east side in Eden. And that was the garden. The place of his presence. And Adam had the job to make the whole earth look like that. He failed miserably. And now God starting over. He got a little piece of land. That land don't look like no garden. But we're going to keep going. It says, and I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So he told them, I made a covenant. I heard your groanings. Now I have remembered my covenant. What do you mean by he remembered? He about to get ready to do somebody. And his response to their groanings is all based on the what? Not just the crime. Based on the covenant. God just ain't moved by our need. He dictates his response based off his character and his promises. And that's how he's going to respond to them. 
based off his character and his promises because he is Yahweh. He said, wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahweh. Y'all see it again. What's the main thing he want them to know? Who he is. So when you go back, tell them, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out. Now watch these wheels. We're going to count them up. They're going to get key in these next three verses. It's the first. So I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, a Yahweh your Elohim, which brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into a land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am Yahweh. And he ran off all these promises. He's about to do this. Did y'all count? Okay, somebody pay attention. Somebody pay attention. <laughs> he gave him seven promises about what he's about to do, and it's all built upon what? No. That the fact that he is Yahweh, that's what he opened it up with, and that's what he closes it with. I am Yahweh. I will. 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 I am Yahweh. So if you're going to have faith in his wills, it's all centered upon faith in what? Who he is. You got to say it country so it can rhyme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I said country so it can rhyme. It don't rhyme if you don't say it country. <laughs> to be technical, they call that slant rhyming in literature. <laughs> but this is the whole thing. Now let's look at these seven I wills in order and try to understand them. So the first thing you're going to do is what? Bring them out. Bring them out from what though? The burdens of the Egyptians. So there's somebody who's weighing them down. There's somebody who has them under control. And the first thing he going to do is get them out of that. The next thing he going to do, he says, and I will, what now? Rid you out of their bondage. So we're going to bring you from up under it. And I'm going to rid you out of it. That's another way of saying I'm going to destroy the bondage that they have you under. I'm going to get rid of the bondage itself. So not only am I going to get you from under it, I'm going to get rid of it completely. Are y'all understanding what he's saying he's going to do? And this is a picture of what now? Redemption. So after he takes them from under the bondage, he get rid of the bondage. Then he says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. So the way I'm going to bring you back, the way I'm going to purchase you, the way I'm going to take you from this whole system is with an outstretched arm. There's going to be some might involved in great judgments, or great declarations is how I'm going to make this thing done. That's another word for judgments, to declare something, to be right, to be good, to be a principle. So I'm going to stretch out my arm with power and great declarations. That's how I'm going to redeem you. So the redemption comes after he does what? Rid him. And set them free. Then he redeems. We're going to say that again. 
Redemption comes after what? He get rid of the bondage and he set them free from the authority of the Egyptians. Y'all thinking about it. Then he go on with another one. And he said, I will take you where? To me for a people. He's going to set them free. He's going to destroy the bondage. He's going to redeem them. And then he said, I'm going to take you to me for a people. So is his goal just to get them from being slaves? He's taking them to somewhere. So you're not, no longer there going to be slave people who are now free people. No, you're going to be former slave people who are now my people. So we're going to set them free, destroy the thing that had them bound, redeem them, get them all back right the way they're supposed to be. Then he's going to make them his people. But then he ain't going to stop there. Once they're his people, he say he's going to do what? And I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So we're going to bring them to myself, and then he's going to be to them. He's going to show himself. He's going to reside over them as a mighty one. And him residing over them as a mighty one, they're going to now know that he is Yahweh, the mighty one. That's the Lord your God. So after the redemption and you bring him unto yourself, there's revelation of what? Who he is. And this is all based on what now? The fact that he's Yahweh. Now I got a a little question here. Because we all know grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So back in the Bible time, before Jesus came, how people got saved? Huh? By faith, what'd you say? They walk with him by trusting in him. Say if they obeyed the word written on their heart, if they obeyed the law, alright, we ain't no church right now. We got about something different else. <laughs> huh? You said knowing him and you said what? By being baptized? Oh Lord, we sure enough ain't no church now. Now we up to 12 different else. <laughs> Paul said church supposed to be speaking and saying the same thing. <laughs> huh? I said before Jesus came, back in Bible time. <laughs> huh? Through sacrifices? What we got? Through fasting? Oh man, we, 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 we get way off. <laughs> huh? Said through him calling him? What you got? Huh? The Lord is talking to him right here. Why is he going to save him? Uh-huh. I say, why? Why is he doing it, though? Go ahead. Say it out loud. Okay. Now we show we, we, we walk a few. <laughs> so you said because of his covenant to them. All right, well, now we got a lot of work to do. Huh? <laughs> we, we got a lot of work to do, now, because now we're confused. So we don't know how they got saved back in Bible time. Say one such a thing. 
Oh, okay. Ask the question then. Ask the question if that. <laughs> you gotta get some clarity. Go ahead. Okay, it's too late to be asking that question now. You know, I already gave all these different answers and we all confused each other up here. <laughs> Paul, ask that first. Okay, what's the difference? All right, all right, all right. Now, for the advanced class, based on what we read today, who can refute that statement? Huh? Just what we read. The statement he just made. They couldn't be with him until Jesus did what he did. Ah, oh, he said, I'm going to bring it to me. So they can be with him. How they get to be with him? So how they get there? What gives them the right and the privilege to be with God? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the question is, when is it going to come? When are they going to be his people? When he going to bring them to himself? When he going to destroy all these things? Because it's one series that he going to do and it one fell swoop. And we got to understand this. Now this is almost too fun. <laughs> but the key we see is he said he going to do it because of his covenant that he made. So the only way that they get any of this stuff is if he does it. Purely based off him doing it. Because the whole covenant started with why? Because he just called Abraham for no reason whatsoever that we know of. So grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, but grace and truth been operating since when? <laughs> Oh man, y'all hear no, y'all ain't gonna be here listening to nobody preach so every <laughs> time you hear that statement, you're gonna be like <laughs> Call back in Bible day. And when you know somebody's gonna make something up. <laughs> but we're gonna run this train, we're gonna play with this idea to pull it out so we can truly understand. The whole basis of it is the grace and the mercy of God. Because even once we talk about the law and once we talk about the sacrificial system and all those other things, how did they get that? And that was an act of his grace to show them in the revelation of who he was. In this whole work and this whole system of salvation that's being depicted here through the deliverance of the children of Israel, show us how Yahweh works. He works based off his covenant. That's the whole backing of the system. That's why Hebrews can say that Moses preached the gospel to them. Because it's the same message. God going to set you free. God going to destroy the things that held you bound. He going to redeem you. He going to bring you to himself and he going to reveal himself to you. and He going to reside to you over you as a mighty one. And that ain't going to be the end of it. He going to keep on going. How to us, at the end, you say. He said, you shall know, I am the Lord your God, which brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land, unto the land, 
concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. So once they know who he is, he's going to bring them to the place of his promise, and it's going to belong to them. And that's the whole thing. Not just to bring them out. Not just to set them free. But to reveal himself to them. And to bring them to the place of his land. The place of his promise. The place of, because land connects back to Genesis. And the Garden of Eden was the garden of his what? The garden of his presence. And that's part of the key picture about this land. And this place of my presence, this guarding of my habitation is going to belong to you. All the way back the way it was supposed to be from Genesis chapter 2. Because God made a garden and he did what? Put a man in it and gave him dominion over it. So who did that garden belong to? Adam and Eve. So once he bring them to the place of his presence, to the land of his habitation, the place of his choosing, he going to give it to them. So who it going to belong to? Them. Now we can spiritualize it just a little bit. Once he bring us to the place of our habitation, which ain't no floating clouds in heaven. It's a brand new heaven and a new earth. We're going to live right here. In the garden of God, because God's plan is not going to be changed. Who the earth going to belong to? You got any New Testament scripture to make you believe that? Oh, we ain't got nothing. Oh, you finna make up something in that HIV. <laughs> Go ahead. No, they're gonna tell us that this land gonna belong to us. That the garden of God, the recreated heaven and the earth, it gonna be ours. Anybody got anything? Okay, I got a couple here. Go ahead. Uh, that saying ain't going to belong to him. We're going to get it all to him. What else we got? That's a good one. Because it connected. And you, you notice what that phrase was. What key phrase to that connect back to what we read and what you said? I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That's covenant language. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, good. Say it again. The meek shall what now? The meek shall inherit the earth. That verse don't seem that deep to you when they be running your beatitudes and you in Sunday school do it. <laughs> but there's a promise in that. The meek shall what now? Inherit what? The earth. We ain't floating on no clouds nowhere for forever. This earth gonna belong to the meek. It's gonna be yours. Beatitudes ain't never sound so deep. <laughs> But that's a promise to God. He's going to give you an inheritance. What is your inheritance? Man, hey, man, one day I'm going to own this whole earth. You talking about a house? <laughs> like, what you going to get when you, I'm going to get the planet. Like, <laughs> that's what he promised you. And that nice little Sunday school memorization thing. The meek shall own, shall inherit. You're going to get as your possession the earth. And it's all connected to that covenant language of I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. That's a key phrase you got to remember throughout the rest of the Bible. You're going to hear it over and over again. Because to us it don't make sense. Like what do you mean he's going to be your God? I thought he the God of everybody. No, he ain't. He God over everybody, but he's not God to everybody. In the sense of relation, 
in him displaying and showing himself as mighty on the behalf of everybody. And that's the part of the promise that begins here. So we're going to get an inheritance, y'all. And don't let them folks trick you. You ain't going to get no wings and be floating on no cloud. That's a lie. God going to redeem you. Set you free. Destroy everything that ever had you bound. Bring you to himself. Make you know who he is. Then he going to take you to your promised land. There ain't no cloud. But it's a ground right here where he and you dwell together in harmony for all eternity. Reigning and ruling as kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Then he's going to say, hey, you know what? That's yours. It belongs to you. And you're going to think about it like, God, Jesus, I did this and I did that. You more don't need that. That's all right. That's all right. Because you know what? There ain't no more fornication on this new planet. Ain't nobody trying to get over on you, taking advantage of you. Ain't nobody slipping nothing in your weed, shooting nothing in your veins. Oh, ain't none of that stuff going on no more. There ain't no alcohol that got you passing all out and you got to figure out what you did or what somebody did to you when you woke up in the morning. Ain't going to be no more of that. You ain't got to worry about that no more. I'm going to destroy it all. And I'm going to give you a brand new place. And it ain't going to be something you just get to participate in and to say, that's nice what you got there, God. It's going to be yours. The meek shall inherit the earth. We're going to be co-heirs with Christ. So when the kingdom of God are given to Christ and he have dominion, we get to be with him, y'all. And when he come back in a great cloud of glory, destroying all wickedness, it talks about this great train that he has in this long white robe. Y'all know we that whiteness? And we get to be in the army. Pookie talking about kicking in door. We get to kick it in heaven, y'all. <laughs> Jesus gonna come back. We gonna squat down on the on the <laughs> on the cloud. All wickedness get down. <laughs> it's over with. <laughs> and the only reason we get to do it because He is Yahweh. Y'all y'all understand that? He is Yahweh. That's the only thing we have to know. And that's the basis of all these promises. He is Yahweh. So their whole redemption and all this scene that they made movies about, it ain't because these people are great and they did all this other stuff. It's because he is Yahweh. Are y'all with me? So everything we read going forward going to be because he is Yahweh. Go ahead. Okay, that's all right. Oh, man. The ones who are dead and gone, we got a promise that we're not going to prevent or stop those who have died before. But one day a trumpet going to sound and we're going to be raised together to meet those who are dead in the air. And forever we shall be with our Lord. So when he come back, we're going to be reunited with him and them. And we all going to come back on this planet to reign and rule with a brand new body. But you always know if you pay attention and you read your scriptures, the, the, the resurrection and the inheritance and all that stuff ain't about a corporal body coming up and, and us living forever, not having blemishes and, and spots and all that. It's about a kingdom inheritance. That's what this whole resurrection thing is about. It's about the, the finishing and the undoing of everything that went wrong from Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And we're going to get our land back, y'all. 
but it's starting with us getting our unity back. So he undo from Genesis chapter 11, go all the way backwards. What happened in Genesis chapter 11 that was wrong? The Tower of Babel and everybody being split up and separated all across the globe. God going to undo that because he confused it and separated us through languages. But in Acts chapter 2, he began to do what? Make a brand new people through a cloven tongues as a fire through language. God is putting this whole picture back together because he will not be defeated. That's why we need to be one body, one church, one people. And that's why he told you, I'm going to make you a people. How many people? One people. Let's keep going. Now, I ain't meant to stay that long. No, I like that. I got excited a little bit. Prince should have got on the oil. <laughs> and Moses spake so to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and of cruel bondage. Now, this is deep. We get to talking about faith a little bit. So everything God told him, he told them. But they didn't believe him. Why? Yeah, they were going through hardship. Except when it said for anguish of spirit, that could be for anxiety. It also could be for shortness of breath. They were tired, y'all. <laughs> so life was so hard for them. And things were so chaotic and rough for them. They couldn't believe what he was saying. That's heavy. That life could put them in a condition where faith was impossible for them. They couldn't trust him because of what they were going through. They were so frustrated. They were so full of anxiety. They were so tired and so fatigued. They were so beat down by what they were going through. They couldn't believe. So to even get them to a place of faith going to take a miracle. Now don't raise your hand out loud. How many of y'all ever been there? Well, you don't, don't think it's possible. You can imagine, like, God can do that for them, but you just don't know. You can't imagine yourself being something other than what you have been. You can't com- imagine life being different from what you've been experiencing all this time. That's the place that they were in. Like, don't, bro, we believe you that last time. That junk ain't work. So don't even come around. We ain't got time for that. And Moses go in and he do what he did. He said, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, go in. Speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he let the children of Israel go out of, that he let the children of Israel go out of his hand. So Moses leave from the people who won't believe. God speak to him, and God gives him the command, go on back to Pharaoh. Said Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of us uncircumcised lips? So now Moses is struggling in his way. Brother, he ain't believing no more. Like, hold up. They won't even listen to me. Why in the world would Pharaoh listen to me? And that's expression of uncircumcised lips. It's, that's one who's not fit to be in a position to speak. It don't necessarily mean he couldn't talk in that place. Like, I, I ain't refined enough. I'm, I'm not in a place where I can even talk to Pharaoh. So why would he listen to me when they won't listen to me? Y'all think that's a legitimate question? How y'all think he tripping? Yeah, but God already told him three chapters ago that they're going to listen to you and you're going to go to Pharaoh and this what's going to happen. So is it legit for him to shrink back again? Like, hold up, God. <laughs> well, he ain't do the plan. He need to be reminded. So y'all think he cool in this little doubt moment right here. 
Yeah, all right, y'all take these almost. That's good. In May, Moses, oh, in 13, he said, and the Lord spake unto Moses, so God responded to Moses in his concern and said, and spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And that's how he ended. Now, what's the problem with God's response unto them? He really ain't deal with their concern. He just say, go to the children of Israel, go to Pharaoh, and tell them to get out. He just gave them the command to, to go. So God is amping up his dealing with Moses. We don't get that long dialogue back and forth like we did in Exodus chapter 3. Like, boy, you too grown for that now. I told you to go, not go, not get. <laughs> and he's just like, oh man, they won't listen to me. Go to Pharaoh. <laughs> I almost like your mama do you. Mama, my hand hurt tired. Ain't no dish soap in there. You go in there and wash the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't even discussing what you're talking about. <laughs> and that's what he got here. And now we're finna get this slight interruption in a genealogy. Now the, the whole thing gonna switch a little bit. Cause normally when we run into genealogy, what gonna happen? They finna speed the story up. But he ain't necessarily finna speed the story up. He gonna make a switch. And this genealogy gonna be odd. I'm gonna see if y'all can tell me what's, what's strange about it. And then they'll jump in. These be the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok and Pelu and Hezron and Carmi. These be the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jachin and Zohar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanitish woman. And these are the sons of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershom and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137 years. And the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, Aram, and Izhar, Hebron, Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 130 and 3 years. And the sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi. And these are the families of Levi, according to their generations. And Aram took him, Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife. And she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Aram were 130 and 7 years. We'll pause right there for a second. Y'all notice anything strong, strange yet? Huh? It got stuck on Levi. Huh? Because he the firstborn. So it got stuck on Levi. It gave you this, the bank, a brief overview of Reuben and Simeon, and it just stopped with Levi so far. Let's see if it changes. Where am I at? 27. No. 21. Said, and the sons of Izar, Korah, Netpeg, and Zikri, and the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elizaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took him Elisheba, daughter of Amenadad, sister of Nashon, to wife, and she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Esar, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him one of the daughters of Putiel to wife, and she bare him Phineas, and these are the heads of the families of the Levites according to their families. And these are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. 
And these are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. All right. Did it continue in your same strange thing? It got to Levi, stuck on Levi, and it went all the way to it, made it to Moses, but it gave a couple of different families. It focused on the family of Aaron, then it focused on the family of Korah. Anybody know why that's significant? <laughs> huh? Either one. <laughs> Those families. Aaron's family and Korah's family going to rise and take a prominent role. But it's key for us to understand that these are two different families because people make a mistake when they go through, especially the Old Testament, our understanding of the Levites. And they get you one of them in the Bible times things. And it's key to us to see a distinction because there is a distinction in the family of the Levites because we all think that Levites equal priests. And as we go forward, these two families are highlighted for a purpose because that's only partly true. It's not completely true. And we also see another strange thing. When we read all the way back in Exodus chapter 2 and it told the story about the birth of Moses, how many children did it seem like Moses' mom and them had? Two. Just Moses and his sister. If you just read it, like they had this special child. Then his sister was there. So like those are the only two children. But now we know that those aren't the only two children. How many of them was it? And that's teaching you something about biblical genealogies and the way they do things. Because something they leave out information that's not pertinent to the story that they're telling. Y'all understand? Uh-uh. Don't mention her. Because she's not pertinent to the story they're telling. So when a lot of times when people try to reach conclusions without understanding the context of the story, you need to say, hold, hold up, pump your brake. Because just a quick one. If Cain and Abel were the only people who he scared were going to kill him and where he get his wife from. What's the problem with that statement? Huh? They had other sons and daughters. And the Bible never said Cain and Abel were the only sons. It just talked about their birth because it was going into their story. And it focused there. Just like it did with us with Moses. Because you just read Exodus chapter 2, Moses was the only boy. But now he told his whole story about all each other. And Aaron is the big brother. And we keep going. Saying it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spake unto Moses saying, what he's told him, I am Yahweh. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? So we go back. Yes, because it jumped with that genealogy. Now I went back to put you back into the regular schedule program. So this is the preview when you go back and you're being watching your episode. <laughs> Previously. <laughs> huh? It's just, as far as we can tell, it's just a repeat. Again, you set up to set the scene because now we're about to go into the punishments of Egypt. Better known as the plagues. 
And we're going to introduce these plays. Anybody know how many plays it is? Oh, Lord, we just making up all type of numbers. We got it's seven plagues. It's ten. Yeah, you cheated. The Bible told you. <laughs> you didn't ask what else. <laughs> How many plagues is it? Y'all sure? Are y'all just trust Jada or Michelle? All right, we're going to see. We're going to count them. <laughs> you said 12. <laughs> It said, and Yahweh said unto Moses, see how I made thee a God to Pharaoh. This is setting the scene, y'all. Y'all, let's get in. We back into Egypt in the Bronze Age. We down there. We got the little bullet gook on our eyes from, for, for mascara and all that little stuff. And Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. So who going to be God? Moses. And Aaron going to be the prophet. Is that blasphemous? God said it. <laughs> Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of this land. So what's God's plan? How it's supposed to go now? Yahweh speak to who? To Moses. Then Moses do what? Aaron. Then Aaron do what? What Aaron's supposed to say? Everything Moses said. What Moses supposed to say? So Aaron is the prophet. So that means what prophets are supposed to do. That's it. So if you got a prophet that ain't saying what God said, are they really a prophet? That's another question. We ain't going to play with that stuff right there right now. Because all prophecy is is encouragement. I don't know where they get that from. Saying so, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now we got some problems here. Who's saying this? So Yahweh said he going to do what? Harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So you got a couple of things. Who going to harden Pharaoh's heart? Yahweh God going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he going to multiply his signs and his wonders. So God going to amp up his signs, his demonstrations, his majesty. He going to put it on display and he going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So who going to harden Pharaoh's heart? Y'all believe that. Y'all really believe that? Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Y'all believe that? You sure? Nah, y'all say y'all believe it. I'm gonna leave it alone. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. Now he didn't use this word twice. Because now they ain't no longer just a nation. They're what? An army. A whole bunch of little slave folks who've been taking care of cattle and building bricks. He said this is my army. And he gonna bring them out by great judgments. And that great judgment is great declaration. He finna put some stuff on display. And it's all gonna build around him. Putting his hand against Egypt. And he talked about this hand again. We talked about him doing it with a stretched out arm. A mighty hand. Now he's going to put his hand against Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know that what? That's the whole purpose of whole, all this display. is for the Egyptians to know what? He finna make his name known, y'all. 
And that's this whole exercise. Said when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. I'm finna make them know who I am. Her Pharaoh asked the question, who is Yahweh? I'm going to show you I am. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Said Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. So did they. And Moses was fourscore years old. How old is that? Eighty years old. And Aaron fourscore and three years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. So when he started his ministry, he was eighty years old. That's old, y'all. <laughs> the brother started his ministry at eighty. Yeah, they ain't tell the, the newborns and the, the young ones. He kept amping it up. So all the infants and the youngins. Yeah, he he missed it. He missed the law. The law changed. The brother guy, he made it through. Said Moses and Aaron. Oh, I'm sorry. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Shew a miracle for you, then shall thou say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. So God set the plan. Who's supposed to cast the rod? Aaron's supposed to cast the rod, not Moses. And here the word switches from the normal word we used to seeing for serpent. And he used a slightly different word, tanning. Now that word is a little bit broader than the other one that we used to use. Huh? You always say monster, because that word is broader. They use that word to describe everything from the lizard that be on your porch to the crocodile down there in Florida. <laughs> so what his thing turned into, we don't know. Could have been a crocodile. I have no idea. <laughs> I think some translations say that. It shall become a crocodile, an alligator. Because <laughs> it's a very broad word. So that's the plan. Y'all with the plan. Is this one of the plagues? It's just a sign, introductory sign. It's not one of the plagues. So Moses and Aaron went unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down, who did it now? Aaron. Y'all get the movies out your head now. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Now this is one that people have a couple problems with. What y'all think you're saying now? They did a similar thing? Y'all think they really did or was it like a magical trick? Huh? You say it just was an illusion? Aaron was real and theirs was an illusion? Huh? So let's take a vote. Let's take a vote. We're going to do this in church. We're going to do it. How many of y'all think it was real? Raise your hand. Huh? He said they did likewise. So how, let me see again. How many think it real? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, Lord, ten. <laughs> how many of y'all think they just did an illusion? I just made the appearance like... David Blaine or somebody up there, they did a trick. Houdini. 
You got one. You by yourself, Pookie. <laughs> but the reason I have to ask, because a lot of people have a hard time thinking that they did the same thing. And what makes it hard is, because this is supposed to be a demonstration of God and his power. So how can these fake people do what he did? Like, that don't ain't supposed to be how it happened. Y'all think devils and demons got power too? They can do some of the stuff that God can do and really do it. Y'all really believe that? Or you think they just were faking, trying to trick people? And it's key for us to understand. And it should start to shape our minds about how we think about miracles and signs and wonders. Those are displays, not the basis of our faith. Because they can also be used to deceive. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So there's some fake folk out there that can do some real stuff. And even when you read Revelation, he tell you, the, 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 the false prophet and the antichrist, they're going to be putting on a show. They're going to be doing some things. And even now, depends on what world and what culture you're from, there's some shamans and some witch doctors and all type of, they can do some things. And they have real power to do real things in this world. But the purpose of their powers and their demonstrations are to what? Deceive. And that's why we don't put our faith and our trust in miracles or displays. Because I believe, really believe that these folks, they did what Moses and Aaron did. That they are. Fair, hey. Y'all too. Come on, come on in here. And where I get two from, I get that from Paul, because he said Janice and Jambres withstood Moses. Or where he get the name from, I don't know. <laughs> and hey, y'all come on here. This dude he'll think he's somebody. Show him something. And they did the same thing. Now the crazy part is that we keep reading. It says. Said, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, plural. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. They did what Aaron and Moses did, but Aaron's rod ate theirs. So Aaron's serpent, singular, ate or consumed their serpents, plural. And that was the sign. How many of y'all think God knew that was going to happen? And that was a part of his whole plan from the get-go. To show you what you think he's trying to demonstrate. Y'all can do some tricks. But whatever you create, mine better than yours. And it just, it didn't say his was bigger. It said his consumed this. But the crazy thing is, after you see this, it said, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them, as Yahweh had said. So he see this whole display that his magicians and his powerful people get overtaken by this little slave boy and his Yahweh that he talking about. And all it does, it make it harder, a little bit harder. You be like, hold up, now, how in the world can he see that and still not believe? Let's keep track. Saying so Yahweh said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Why do you think he told him that? 
that courage, encourage him. Yeah, he's just keeping him up on game. We continue. Let him die. All right. Now, it, it happened the way I told you it's going to happen. All right. Hit hard, hard now. Say, get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth up unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which is which was turned to a serpent shall thou take into thy hand. He set it up. And this is the initial plague. This is the first one. It said, and thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, and this thou shalt know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters, which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And you see this play begins, and the first play opens up with a what? That whole long speech, we can classify it under one word, what you would call it. More than just a declaration. A warning. He gave him a warning. Like, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what you, I'm about to do because you be a hard head. This was Pharaoh's chance to say, I don't want to be hard head no more. But his heart was hardened and he was stubborn. So Moses and Aaron go through with the act. Said, and the fish that is in the river shall die and the river shall stink and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thy hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of waters, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. That's nasty. But that's powerful. Because y'all paid attention to what he said there. Where was the blood? Everywhere there was water, vessels. So if you got a clay pot with some water in it at your front door so people can wipe their hand when they come in, it's going to be blood up in there. When you got that water, you, you set off to the side and you put it on the ice. So when you come out in the field, it can be cool for you. It's going to be blood. <laughs> you want to say what? That's how they translated that in their wood and their stones. So some versions do that. So they take the wood and the stone to be an idol. But the reason I disagree with it is because it's talking about water. So that's how they translate that wood and stone. So blood going to be, well, everywhere. And all Moses had to do to make it happen was tell what now? Aaron to lift up the rod. Now, how many of y'all think that um, you are like living under those conditions? Because he gave them a key word that, that set me off. It ain't even that the blood gonna be everywhere. So all the fish gonna start dying and the river gonna stink. <laughs> That blood everywhere, man. It's gonna be stinking stuff dead. Would that make you say, okay, we don't want to deal with these folks no more? And that's the plan. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying unto Aaron, oh, I will read that 20, said, and Moses and Aaron did so 
as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water in the of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. In verse 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did they hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. Moses and Aaron turned to everything to blood. The Egyptians show up again. They repeat it. That's a good question. We're going to get it a little bit. And it said, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this. So he's like, I ain't paying that junk no attention. And all the Egyptians dig round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. They had to dig underground to find water. Because all the water of the rivers and the ponds and the lakes were blood. So you living now and you living under the authority of Pharaoh in his kingdom. And these people come out in the middle of the street and say everything finna turn to blood because you hardhead. And it happened. Then the magician repeated, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, that ain't nothing amazing. And you might be like, yeah, that God, Yahweh ain't about nothing. And a couple days go by. And the water's still blood. And you thirsty. Because they in Egypt. Which other than right there around the Nile River is a what? Desert. <laughs> so you thirsty? You hungry probably. You got to roast everything because you can't cook nothing and boil nothing because all the water, blood. And it get to the point where they're scavenging and digging through mud and digging through dirt trying to find some water to drink. And he still won't listen. And he gives us, as it said, and seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. So he got them a city full of blood for seven days. That ain't good, y'all. And he's showing and displaying his power. But the problem is the magicians keep repeating everything he did and that allows Pharaoh's heart to be even more hard. And you got this standoff going on that they're opposing Moses as Paul put it. How how are they opposing him? They ain't fighting him. They ain't beating him up. It's because he's standing for something. And they're standing in opposition for something other than what he's standing for. And that's the opposition. And many times we don't stand and fight for the truth. We're in opposition to it. So these magicians doing what they do, that's the opposition of him. Because they're deluding and blinding the people to say that ain't nothing special about that Yahweh. He just Moses and his tricks, just like the rest of them. But after seven days, and I know if I would been there, I would have had to ask the magician, if you can make it, can you take it away? That's cool. <laughs> we feel you, bro. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? We feel you. Raw is powerful. Yeah, it's all, all hell raw. But, uh, you do somebody want <laughs> And to put it on display and to show you their powerlessness, God let it sit for seven whole days. The one who crafted all creation and how he started the whole created thing with what now? With water. And he shaped a beautiful garden starting with water is now bringing to ruins a kingdom starting with what? Water. The waters of judgment or the wrath of God in the city of the judgment is filled with blood. And it should take our minds to the book of Revelation. When it talks about that great day when God come again to judge the world. And he said he tell all the buzzards and the vultures and all the scavengers of the world to gather around for a great feast. And he said the blood flows to the point where it reaches the horse's bridle. So horses are buried in blood in the great and final day that God come back and judge the earth. Y'all know that's nasty. But that's powerful. And that shows you the severity of his judgments. This is his ability to deal with a hard-headed, obstinate man who thinks he's great. And God's whole position is, I'm finna show you who power is. I'm finna show you that what? I am Yahweh. And why it's a fun and liberating thing for the Hebrews and the Israelites to hear the declaration, I am Yahweh. It's a terrifying thing for Pharaoh. Because the same Yahweh that brings liberation is the same Yahweh that brings damnation. And you know he good at doing both. And that's what happened when redemption came to us. I told y'all this little theme of the third day. Somebody asked, what's it significant about the three days journey? I told y'all, what, what happened on the third day throughout the book of Genesis? Couldn't nobody think of nothing. But that's all right. My feelings ain't going to be hurt for long. But one of the most beautiful things that happened on the third day was I told Jada, I thought she was going to remember in the book of Genesis. God created the ground and that was the first sign of life because told the grass to bring forth, spring forth from the earth, from being covered from the waters and it came forth out of that watery judgment, that watery chaos, earth came forth and life began on the third day. So chaos was dealt with. Adma, our earth, the land was brought forth and life spring forth from it on the third day. But also we saw a picture of the third day when Levi and Simeon poured out their wrath and on the third day both wrath and deliverance came. Wrath to the people of Shechem. Deliverance to their sister Dinah. All on the third day. And we see the mighty hand of God. That God both show love and he show kindness and he show tenderness. But he also is a God of great judgments. In the same waters that saved Moses is now here damning Pharaoh. And that's the picture that he set up. This dichotomy of the grace of God. And it all depends on what part of the river are you standing in? 
Because when Moses was in the river, he was where? In the ark of safety. And the waters carried him to his destination. Pharaoh's in the rivers, standing as a lord over the people. And the waters now begin his damnation and his judgment. The same waters that save damn. The same God that rescues, destroys. But we need to know that he is what? Yahweh. And the whole picture is built on whether or not we can trust him. And this is just the first play out of all of them. But it demonstrates his power. Because Bronze Age Egypt, their life was built and centered around what? That Nile River. When the drought came and Pharaoh had his dream, what was the dream built around? Cows came out of the river. Corn was growing up on the riverbanks. So the drought and the flourishing was all based on the river. This river don't run nothing is what God's saying. I run the river. And it can't even be what it's supposed to be unless I allow it to be. And to show you that, I'll give you seven days. Well, it ain't going to do nothing, produce nothing but death. And that's the power of God. Anybody got any questions?